0: My guest right now on this first National Day of Truth and Reconciliation in this country, here in this province, in this city, I've got MLA with the Green Party, Adam Olson, on the line to to share his personal thoughts, his personal reflections. Uh, Thank you for being here, sir. Thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, We talk all the time. You and I talk all the time. Uh, You talk to many of our hosts here on CFAX. Uh, We talk about politics. We talk about... You know, you you you've been the uh, the Green Party MLA for Saanich North and the Islands. You've been uh, the interim leader of the party. Uh, you're you know you're a longtime voice, a Central Saanich councillor in the past. But uh, we also talked to you, and we talked to you today as as a member of the Sartlip First Nation. And uh, I want to I want to really thank you in advance for for taking some time just to share some thoughts about this day for you and maybe get personal about it.
1: Yeah, and I I think that I want to raise my hands in gratitude back to you and to. Uh, the production team at CFAX, and, and in fact, a lot of uh, news outlets today are taking the opportunity to have conversations just like the one that we're going to have today. And I think that these are very, very useful in advancing uh, what is the true history of our country and of our province and um, giving people a, a much deeper understanding of the diversity of voices that are, that are in this province. And, and uh, so I, I really... Thank you for reaching out, and I'm very happy to to play whatever role uh, with whatever hat I happen to be wearing today. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I think uh, I think in in my life I'm I'm always wearing all the hats. So yeah, you, uh, for, you, a, for a bald headed guy, I've got lots of hats.
0: <laughs> you got a lot of roles, and I appreciate you speaking pro- probably with you know a bit of all of them on today. But uh, you, you mentioned what you hope today is about, and I'd like to start there because I think. And I'm just going to be really honest here. I think a lot of people uh, have this day coming at us. Uh, you know, they knew this day was coming. It was coming at us. And many people were trying to think, what what is the best thing to do with it? I mean, it's a day off, sure, for many people. But it's not just a day off. I mean, I think most people get that there's a bit of responsibility here to do something with the day. And what are you hoping people do with it?
1: Yeah, i if I may, just back up one one step higher than that. Oh yeah, the higher question, higher level question is why that? Why is this day? Why is this day happening? Right I think yeah. that um, it's important to acknowledge that in the calls to action, from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. that's now I think back in 2015 is when those calls to action were published. Action 80 outlined um, for the federal government and provincial governments to create a day to commemorate the legacy of residential schools and to give people an opportunity to, to pause uh, in their uh, annual cycle to, to think about and to commemorate uh, this part of our history. And uh, it wasn't until May 27th when the information became public around uh, the 215 remains uh, located at the Kamloops Indian Residential School Uh, that the federal government finally began to act on Action 80. And it took six days, what had been collecting dust for six years, uh, for the federal government to pass legislation uh, to create a federal statutory holiday. And and I think that it's important to acknowledge that our provincial government is now doing the work that is necessary. um, And it's not, it's not just as easy as saying this is a day off for everybody, we have to talk to uh, indigenous communities. I think we're talking to uh, labor and business groups about how to facilitate uh, a statutory holiday, kind of m- mid-cycle. Let's just put it that way. So right. that work's being done provincially, but but this is a, this day is a day to commemorate and to um, recognize uh, the the impact that residential schools have had. And I think that f- the the second question that I've been asked around this, the second, um, I think. Uh, highest frequency question that I get asked is, "How do we use this day?" I think that was the question that you just asked me. Yeah, and for me, it's really I think an opportunity to um, to learn, and to and to create, uh, and to facilitate um, for media outlets, for businesses, for um, uh, social groups in our in our uh, communities to pause and to engage with. Um, local Indigenous leaders to engage with material that there's a lot of material out there right now about residential schools, about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, much, much more about the the long history of Canada and the relationship uh, that the Crown governments have had with Indigenous communities. And uh, people are really taking the opportunity to engage with that material and, uh, and to learn. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had, um, a number of my constituents come through over the years and and talking to me about these kinds of subjects. And one of the things that they've lamented is that they didn't learn the information in school. It wasn't easily accessible. And indeed, you know, the federal and provincial governments haven't been too excited to share this history with Canadians. But uh, with the events of this year and with the passing of the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples Act back in 2019 uh, here in, in British Columbia... Uh, certainly, the interest is growing, and um, and this is just an opportunity, another day for us to to pause and and to reflect.
0: Maybe try to make up for some of those shortcomings.
1: Yeah, you know what? I think that there's there's a lot that's said about making up for the shortcomings. I think that it's more about what it is that you do with what you know, and you know, I, I think well. Uh, Growing up, uh, I would often hear from people, you know, don't blame me for what my grandparents did or, you know, don't don't try to don't try to make me feel guilty for something that happened decades ago that I have no control over now. And, uh, you know, my response has always been, I don't hold you responsible for for something that you can't do or you can't undo. But I think that there is a responsibility that we all carry as uh, as individuals and that we carry as a collective as a community and as a province or as a nation. Uh, to do something about what we now know and what we, and what we do know. And so, you know, while I'll hold the governments accountable and say you've known about this for, for a long time and it's, it's now time and it's been long past time, in fact, for you to do something about it, for individuals it's, to, it's with a, a level of compassion to say you're just learning about this now. This is tough information. But it's now, uh, now the question um, for individuals is what are you going to do with the information that you know, what are you going to do with what you've learned? And so, I think that that's where it really, I think, becomes a, a, about our individual responsibility: is is not feeling guilty or not taking responsibility for anything that you can't do or can't fix. But, but going forward, what are we going to do with what we know?
0: Right, and I guess that's a that's a nice. Sort of thought here, because I think some people struggle with that. You know, this, this isn't a day to make you feel guilty. It's a it's a day to, to, to learn and acknowledge and, and get better. I guess.
1: Well, in fact, you know, many Canadians, uh, if they knew this information at the time that was that it was happening, would be very angry and and would be holding government accountable for it. I, I happen, I, I've seen that in action. So, you know, I, I think that it is important to to know that. You know, the governments and the, the churches have sealed these records uh, for decades for a reason, because it's a shameful part of our history. Um, you know, and the, the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Inquiry was very clear in calling it cultural genocide. The Indigenous leaders that um, were at the heart of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission leading the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, it's cultural genocide. These are, these are terrible acts that... Uh, from, from our Crown governments uh, taken against Indigenous people, deliberately uh, taken deliberately against Indigenous people because, um, because they didn't want to pay the price of treaty-making and they didn't want to pay the price of doing the work properly. And so they created all of these institutions and these structures to go around and to cut corners. And the result of that is a lot of pain and anguish. It's a lot of horror and trauma. Uh, on and and it's and yes, definitely within you know our families and our relatives uh, in Indigenous communities across the province and across the country, locally, regionally, provincially, and nationally. Um, but I think that what we saw also this summer is that there is a collective trauma that we are all feeling with knowing and, and understanding that this is part of who we are because we often say we often contextualize ourselves and say. You know, at least we're not like the United States. At least we're not like our neighbours to the south. And in this instance, we're very much like what we are often saying that we're not. And so, you know, I think that um, when we come to that realization that there's personal aspects of this that we need to, to also help people through. And, you know, this is a day. Um, you know, we, we have days of celebration, you know, um, Thanksgiving and and. and Christmas and other days of celebration, we have days of remembrance, like Remembrance Days and and Commemoration. This is a day of of reflection and and remembrance and and, and coming to know a little bit more about uh, who we are and where we've come from.
0: Hey, i got to hold you there for a second, but we're going to come back to our guest, Adam Olson, who, of course, we know is the Green MLA for Sandwich North and the Islands, uh, but he's also a member of the Sartlip First Nation, and he's been gracious enough to spend some time with us today to share some personal thoughts on Canada's first Truth and Reconciliation Day. More in a moment. We're in the middle of a conversation with Adam Olson. We know him as a Green MLA for Saanich North and the Islands. He's a member of the Sartlip First Nation up on the Saanich Peninsula, and we're talking about Canada's first Truth and Reconciliation Day today. Uh, thanks for holding on the line, and thanks for sticking with us. Thanks a lot for having me. Well, what are you? What are your personal thoughts about today? What does this day mean for you personally?
1: Well, you know, I think that... Uh, it's an oppor- It's an opportunity, frankly. Um, when they when they announced that this day was happening, I had a number of uh, organizations, uh, businesses, um, social groups reach out to me. I I've, uh, earlier this week I uh, visited uh, four classes at Esquimalt High School, and uh, and so you know this today is a busier day for me than than normal busy days. And as an MLA, my days are usually very busy and. I had a number of groups reach out to me and say, you know, I I, I hate to burden you with this, but is there any way that you can provide us some guidance on on what to do for today? And so uh, I I really don't mind being so busy today. I really don't mind sitting with groups that are keenly interested and, and, and honestly interested in improving uh, their understanding uh, I think today and, and probably in future uh, national days of truth and reconciliation I intend to be very busy and just sitting with people and, and just kind of working through this and you know I think that uh, the, the more we come to know and the more we come to understand um, the history of residential and day schools I think it's important not to forget that the impact that uh, that Indian day schools had on on our communities and on our relatives and so for me, it's, a, it's just a matter of, of taking the time and, and you know, I, I intend on being very exhausted at the end of this day because uh, I, I want to be able to provide myself as one of many people who will be talking to organizations and groups today about, about what the meaning of this is. And, and you know, so, so it's an opportunity to open a discussion further than, than it has been over the last few months.
0: Has it, for yourself or, or people around you, uh, when this day was announced, when the, the plan to, to have a National Day of Truth and Reconciliation was, was announced finally, as you've mentioned, it, it, it was a recommendation from before that finally got acted upon when we were faced with, with the news from, from Kamloops. Uh, how, did, how did you and others around you react to that day being declared finally and, and knowing it was coming?
1: Well I think there, there's going to be a mix of reactions. I think that there's always you can, we can always expect there to be sort of a, a, a bit of a collective eye roll like you know this is uh, this is the least of the actions in uh, that can be done and I, and I don't want to kind of put the actions from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission on a hierarchy but but this is certainly as we saw you know this is an act that took six days for the federal government to do and I think they' passed it unanimously and so I think that it is an important day and, and the, the meaning of it will and the impact of it will be told at the end of it when we kind of sit back and evaluate those you know there will be some that certainly just take it as a day off and others that will really um, take the opportunity to to um, to learn and, and to to engage the, the material that's out there uh, but I, you know, for me, I think that it is an indication of crown governments um, taking actions, and 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 uh, and I think one of the things for me that, that I noticed was that it wasn't being done. And the the, the well, let me put it this way: the federal government didn't do this on its own. The federal government did this because of the thousands and millions of Canadians that said that they wanted to see the governments do something different. They wanted to see the governments stop ignoring this situation. They demanded more information. They demanded action. And so I think that this is really instructive uh, for uh, us across society, that um, when governments notice and see the public uh, become passionate and demand action, they act. I think that no no matter what issue is important to you, you know see this as see this as uh as an example of what needs to happen if if you want to see change in society and see government act because certainly you know this this day, as I said earlier, this day has been sitting on the books uh for the last six or seven years or so, and you know apparently it was it was too difficult to to achieve up until um the the really really um powerful response from Canadians coast to coast to coast it was a powerful response we we still have to this day a uh, a growing shrine on the steps of the of the um provincial legislature in in victoria uh, and and, it, and it's it's really challenging i think for the people in the in the legislative assembly to figure out what they do with with those um shoes and and the the things that have been left on the steps for those children because to, to a certain extent they are, it is a, it's a shrine to those who who didn't come home from school and you don't really want to disturb something like that. But yet as well, they're sitting out in the open and, and they're not, it's not really made for longevity, their shoes and their other perishable things. So trying to find a, a way to deal with those is, is going to be very challenging for the legislative assembly. But we saw that as one example of the, the expression from Canadians demanding that action be taken. And so for me, the fact that this the government took the action and moved this forward is an example that uh, with the right kind of pressure and the right kind of momentum, we can see a lot more happen in our society as well.
0: Hey, I'd like to keep this conversation going. Uh, hold on the line. I've got Adam Olson, Green MLA, but also Sartlip First Nation member. Uh, we're talking about Canada's first day of truth and reconciliation, what it means to uh, to my guest, but you know, just some things to think about for all of us on this day. Uh, so we'll, we'll get you the hold on the line if you don't mind. We'll get caught up on the, the traffic and the weather and the news and come back in just a moment. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, on this, the first national day of truth and reconciliation in canada and we're trying to take as much time as we can today to talk about it and issues surrounding it my guest right now and he's been holding on the line uh if you're just joining us we've been talking to adam olson we know him as the green member of the legislature for saanich north in the islands he's also a member of the Sartlip first nation and he's uh, been gracious enough to spend some time with us today so again thank you again and welcome back to the program Thank you for the invitation. I want to spend the next little chunk of this chat here talking about what the, the B.C. government can do. This will be very close to home for you because, uh, you you know, both of the hats you wear in that regards will come in handy here because uh, we've talked a lot about personal reflections and what, you know, us as individuals do with this day. But, you know, it's, it's a day, too, to, to, to hold governments to account. And what do you want to see the B.C. government do better to try to, to move this forward?
1: So I think very specifically to residential and day schools, uh, I think making sure that every one of the 94 calls to action that, is, um, is reflective of provincial jurisdiction, uh, that there is, uh, a kind of a detailed action plan on what the government expects, uh, to be doing in terms of fulfilling the, uh, the provincial aspects of the, those 94 calls to action as an as one example we saw when the federal government created this uh, statutory holiday the provinces were were left with with a whole pile of you know of employees that are provincially regulated and trying to figure out okay how do we deal with this because right now this day is is really a, a federal statutory holiday meaning the provinces now have to figure that out and so you know Presumably, some of this work could have been done in the past. Although I'm not, you know, we, we will only go. We, let's go forward from here. So let's let's now say that the other calls, uh, the other actions, and the calls to action, we should be working in advance um, and in co- coordination with the federal, with our federal partners, and uh, and I think with the uh, with the other premiers to to take a look at how those calls to action, uh, the, the provincially. Um, the provincial jurisdiction uh, gets done. Following that, I think that we need to really start to take a look at strongly at the uh, the um, missing and murdered Indigenous women rec- report recommendations. Um, you know, I was uh, happy to see that the provincial government put some resources. I think that I think that when it when it comes to um, this. Uh, I don't know that they put as as much resources on the table as, as perhaps we should have, although I think I, I really want to see the government acting on those recommendations of the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women uh, Inquiry. And then, uh, and then, of course, we passed the 2019... Uh, in 2019, we passed the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples Act, and there are, I believe it's about 75 actions. Those are the initial actions in the first five-year... Uh, period, um, because you know, as part of our act provincially, there was a a reporting mechanism and um, some mechanisms that were put in place in order to hold government accountable. So government was holding themselves accountable, actually, in mm-hmm. saying that there has to be an annual report, and as well, um, we're going to have to uh, we're going to have to report out on on the actions that have been taken by each one of the ministries, and those ministries would then come, you know, the, a secretariat would then compile all of the actions that have been taken uh, and, and create that annual report. So that to me, I think we have some very clear and outlined actions that the government can take. It's not like we're in a situation right now where we have to work those up. Um, there are some very clear actions that they should take. And I, I think that the first action that really needs to be done at a kind of a high level across government, uh, is that secretariat role that, that is in, um, it's in the hands of the minister of of Indigenous Relations and Reconciliation right now, Murray Rankin, has to determine how that secretariat works, but really pulling together all of the ministries, who do they report to when it comes to implementing all of these actions and these recommendations, and how do we ensure that there is momentum that is, you know, that we start to generate momentum, and then once that momentum is, is has started, how do we maintain the momentum that gets generated? So I think there are some very clear actions that the governments uh, g- governments can take. Uh, the documents are all in front of them, and for me, I think that it's just a matter of governments being accountable to
0: the actions that uh, that they've committed to taking. Can, can you talk a bit more about the secretariat and what it would do and what role it would play?
1: Yeah, sure. I think this is one of the uh, one of the first actions that are laid out, and I know that this is one that uh, Indigenous leadership groups in our province are, are very much focused on, and I think that. Basically, uh, one of the real challenges with governments is that there's multiple ministries, multiple bodies within, and, and agencies, and uh, crown corporations. And so, um, one of the one of the real challenges is that action then gets kind of diffused across a bunch of different bodies, and it's really hard to pull it all together. And so, um, creating a secretariat, which is in uh, the minister's mandate letter, I believe. Um, would help be kind of like a, a central office that pulls together and can then um, direct ministries to take action, can demand accountability from ministers and say, what what are you doing or why aren't you doing this quick enough uh, in some cases, um, and uh, can be a bit of a quality control. I think determining where that office sits, does it sit in the premier's office, um, you know, which would indicate that it is kind of, at the highest uh, level of the highest office of, of the province as it sits kind of outside and, and in between. So I think that some of this work that needs to be done is, is kind of uh, administrative. Uh, but as well, I know that uh, indigenous groups need to be able to speak to government. And right now what's happening is Indi- indigenous leaders are talking to this ministry over there and that minister over there. and And like all of these issues are separate when, you know, from an Indigenous communities' perspective, all of these issues are with a Crown government, with the province or with the federal government. They they care little if it's the Minister of Forests or the Minister of Indigenous Relations. If what they want is an answer. Uh, they they want to be able to communicate clearly with uh, the government at government-to-government relations. And, and it, is, it is really, really challenging the way governments are currently organized for that to happen. So uh, that's why I think indigenous leadership groups in this province have put a uh, you know the highest one of the highest levels of importance around this Secretariat and why I think that it's where it is on the action plan quite high up and if there was a hierarchy I think this would be quite near the top
0: now I, I know nothing about nothing but it, it seems to me like that is not a hard thing to do or or is it like what what would be the challenge for the government in making that happen it doesn't seem like it seems like on the list of things to do it's not one of the hardest things
1: yeah that's true um and I think that it probably is maybe one of the more difficult things that a government can do, which is reorganize itself and and you know I think governments are quite used to uh organizing themselves the way that they that they are currently are i mean that if you take a look at the structure of an n d p government it's it's a little different from the structure of a liberal government um in in terms of who reports to what there are some minor differences, but for the most part the structure of government remains the same and the colour of the banner, you know, at the top gets changed and, and new people come come in to those positions. So on on that, on that hand, it, you know, it is quite challenging for governments to reimagine something that they've not done before. Uh, however, I think that um, it, is, it would be just similar to the creation of the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. It would be an indication to Indigenous leaders that the government is taking these commitments that they've made very seriously um because uh, you know like right now it's very easy for one minister to deflect to another or for one level of government to deflect to another level of government and so um, you know I think we're now uh, one full year into the mandate of this minister and uh, you know that's uh, that's one full year that we don't get back and so my hope is is that we get to see this uh, how the Secretariat gets put together uh, in an expedited way and and you know, I think that we sh- shouldn't be letting perfect get in the way of good here um, because, you know, uh, having a structure that is less than perfect at the beginning and we can start to identify together what uh, what needs to be improved and then work on that uh, and, and improve it. But every piece of legislation, you know, we've committed to all the new legislation uh, that the government drafts to have some level of consultation and engagement. That certainly hasn't happened in the in the first session, and I'm interested to see how that is going to play out in this upcoming fall session, which starts next week. Uh, and we have to start reviewing legislation that's currently on the books. Um, and as Blueberry River First Nation, uh, you know, court case around accumulative impacts that that came down earlier this summer, um, it's becoming imperative that the government does this work, and so let's not, uh, as you said, let's view this as much easier than um, difficult, uh, because actually the difficulty is in not doing this work.
0: Adam Olson is here. We're talking about just a whole grab bag of things to think about on this first day of of uh, na- National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. Uh, can I get you to hold on one more time? Uh, we'll we'll come back with some final thoughts and a couple of other issues to to get to with, uh, again, MLA Adam Olson, Sartlip First Nation member. We'll be back in just a moment. Our final few moments with the uh, Green MLA for Saanich North and the Islands, Adam Olson, a member of the Sartlip First Nation and a regular guest on CFAX 1070. We're so thankful for his time today on this first National Day of Truth and Reconciliation, uh, bringing him back up on the line now. Adam, thanks again. Thank you. Look, we we don't have a lot more time left in in our hour together, but I wanted to get to, to this topic because we've... We've spent some time elsewhere on the show on this, and it is to do with, you know, resource extraction, resource development in this province and Indigenous peoples because that's becoming more and more of an issue in so many different ways. Uh, some of them contentious. Some of them, you know, play out in, in bigger picture stories like what we're seeing with Fairy Creek, that kind of stuff. So um, it's, uh, it, it, and I mean, that's just one example. And I wanted to get your thoughts on, on on a day like today, where we're trying to, as a province, do better for our, for our indigenous peoples, that particular flashpoint issue of, of resource development and extraction and, and you know sharing the resource and uh, sharing responsibility but also uh, uh, consultation, is the, I'm kind of rambling because it's such a big issue, but I, I'll, I'll get to my question now. When it comes to that, where do you think we need to go and, and what are the flashpoints?
1: Well... Thank you uh, for, for if that. Is a, that is a is a massive issue, uh, and probably can do a whole hour just on it, or a number of hours on on this. Because,
0: yeah, it took me three minutes you know. just to ask the question. <laughs>
1: right. Well, and, and that's because it's, it's an indication of how challenging it is for us. And I yeah. think it, it's particularly challenging if our governments are going to take a similar perspective to the one that they've always taken, which is that crown governments have the sole responsibility for making decisions and allocating resources our courts are not telling us that that's the case our courts are telling us that the legal landscape in our in our province and in our country is vastly different and it only continues to persist the way it is because the crowns have been less than willing to actually engage this and continue to force this into these conversations into the courts one of the things that i you know one of the things that i've often heard from indigenous leaders is them lament the resources leaving their communities on the back of trucks. And I, and I think that it's it's wrong to view indigenous people as, you know, um, uh, as, as disinterested in, in developing and extracting resources. In fact, um, some of the, some of the most sustainable resource extraction techniques that we could talk about are historic, um, indigenous, uh, fishing methods, for example, or indigenous, uh, um, forestry methods so we have a lot to learn from indigenous people and it's only because the governments have taken a very closed-minded very kind of selfish approach to this frankly that we've closed our mind to uh to to the techniques and and to the the teachings that we could learn from indigenous people across our, our province uh, it's only because we've been unwilling to share the resources with indigenous people uh that we have uh these conflicts and i'm not and I'm not talking about so I'm not talking about a little bit of money here or there uh, a fraction of, of, of what uh, of what legally indigenous people are entitled for. that's not, that's not going to work anymore and so we have to be talking about real decision uh, shared decision making and real revenue sharing. And for a lot of people that would be listening to this now, they might be afraid of what that could mean because we have in our country part of truth and reconciliation is reconciling, the stereotypes that we've been taught. And one of the stereotypes that we've been taught is that you can't trust Indigenous people with land and money. And that's been very useful for Crown governments to purvey that message. And nothing could be further uh, from the truth, from 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 my experience. I, I, I believe that um, one of the best things that we can do in our province is to share those resources. Because if I know one thing about First Nations communities, and that is that they invest in... The region they invest in the local areas where they are. We're not taking these profits or these the, this revenue and investing it offshore. Indigenous people invest it right back into their communities, and so that's not just good for uh, Indian reserves or for Indigenous communities. That's good for the whole community around all of the businesses, the partnerships that can be that can be uh, achieved through uh, through real resource and revenue sharing. And also looking at the impact of impoverished Indigenous communities uh, on those regions and in those local areas. It is not beneficial to have impoverished communities uh, anywhere. And so I think that the imperative, the the real opportunity for for us is to recognize that we need more sustainable resource extraction methods than the ones that we've been using. We cannot continue to clear-cut our way until there's nothing left. We can't continue to harvest uh, fish and salmon, as we know, the way that we have in the past. We've got exactly where we are today because of those methods. And so there's a real opportunity for us to learn from each other, for us to share the resources, and for us to realize the benefits of, of those local investments being made. Not only is it the right thing to do, but legally uh, Indigenous people are entitled to far more than what the Crown governments have, have given them access to, and uh, and in fact, we're seeing a lot of the challenges that we're seeing right now on the landscape are a direct result to crown policy and the, the lack of social license that they've gained, but also as well the the reality that uh, that they've been kind of hoarding the resources and frankly, to, to in many cases it's, it's been done illegally. And so um, we see we see the, the the judicial system in our country continually siding on behalf of uh, indigenous nations. Uh, and the, the most recent one, and there will be many more to come after this, is Blueberry River that says that provincial governments must take into consideration the accumulative impacts of the decisions that they've made. We cannot continue to make one decision after another as if they're in isolation uh, from each other. So, you know, I think um, there's a lot of fear, I think, uh, in the in the governments in dealing with this in a straightforward way. And that fear then gets translated down into the public because we've been taught uh, stereotypes that have been very useful for crown governments in in, in perpetuating the the status quo. Uh, and now I think we have to do our best. And shows like the one that we're ha- the conversations that we're having today, Ryan, and the many conversations that we'll have to break down those stereotypes and say, actually. They were very useful at a time in which we were treating people unequitably, unfairly, and frankly in a horrific way. And now they're not useful to us anymore, and we must abandon them immediately, and embrace a different approach and embrace a different relationship. And I think that I think that you will find indigenous people to be very kind, and to be very forgiving, and 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 as we've seen over the decades, very patient, and. and with with those kind of values informing the decisions i think what you'll see is, is very good partnerships come
0: you know i know we spent that last little moment talking about uh, resource issues but i think the message you just shared there really applies to this whole conversation and this whole day and it's kind of a nice note to leave it on
1: yeah um i i like the fact that that's where we got to uh because i think that you know going forward um, we, we've got a lot of challenges that we're going to face uh, together and that we're only going to be able to find solutions if we are working together on, you know, and when you take a look at an issue like climate change, um, you know, we are all going to be impacted by that. And, and we're only going to be able to to uh, get through it if we're working in collaboration and working together. And so um, that that's what my hope is. And, and uh, the government has the op- options and the opportunities in front of it uh, to make sure that uh, at least the relationship with Indigenous nations and Indigenous people is one that is collaborative and
0: cooperative. Adam Olson, Green MLA, member of the Startlip First Nation, I want to thank you again for taking this time and spending this hour with us. Thank you
1: so much for uh, for inviting me onto your show and, and spending so much time uh, on this issue today, and I look forward to future conversations.
0: I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. We always do. Thank you.